Hey friends, does the thought of another Bible study seem vaguely boring and like you've been there, done that? Our guest this week discovered and teaches a way to read, study, and share the Bible based in relationship, not duty. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 331, Keith Farron and Relational Bible Study. Well, hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here, for downloading, for checking out this show. I don't know, it might be your first time, it might be your, who knows, 300th time. We've got 300 plus episodes now. Uh, either way, I'm grateful that you are here and I know you're going to learn something. Friends, if you are able, want to support the show, the best way to do that is is to go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit the Patreon button. For just $5 a month, uh, you can send a little bit our way. That helps us take care of the things like hosting and all that stuff that we that we do that nobody ever thinks about. But in order to make a high-quality podcast, you need. So we would love if you would help out with that. But no pressure. If not, just leave me a comment or a rating or review. You can do that as well. Okay, I want to dive into this conversation because we've already been having fun today, and I can't wait to hear more of our guest's story. He's an author and speaker. He spe speaks at conferences and churches and universities and banquets. He's been doing that for 25 years. Um, he has a passion to help people not just read and study the Bible, but deeply enjoy it, which, man, I love because I, I I know there's there's some, uh, as a biblical studies student, I know that, that like resonates with me deeply. There's just so much there. I'm sure we'll talk about it. He's the founder of the Bible Life Community, an online community where people read, study, and discuss the Bible together. I love it. Our guest is Keith Farron. Keith, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. It's good to be here, man. I am grateful that uh, you are here, and I don't know when the timing will work out, but I'm scheduled to be on your show shortly, so that'll be great. Oh, I think it'll be, it'll be fun. Excited. Get get a chance to just uh, share with each other. But these are kind of the broad strokes about, about you and some of the things that you're doing, but give us a little more detail about who you are and where God has you right now. Yeah, where he has me right now is in Seattle on a shockingly sunny day <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> but uh yeah my my wife and i have been married for well march will be 27 years so depending on when people are listening to this and uh, we actually met at a youth conference i could tell you that story while i was a youth pastor that was a that was a crazy story how those first two weeks went but uh, we've got three kids. One is in college at Cal Baptist, California Baptist. One is going to be going to college in the fall. And I think you and I talked over email that uh, he's narrowed it down to three schools. And one of them is in your oh, neck yeah. of the woods. That's right. Colorado State. And, and then our youngest will be starting high school in the fall. So we are going to have one kid in the fall. That's just the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. But, Isn't anyway. it strange as they... As they grew up a little bit and you're like, oh, this is different. And this is just a different dynamic. Our daughter was home from college this last weekend and it was like, oh, this is, there's more people here. You know, it's fun right. to have her, but it's just a different dynamic. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's weird getting, getting older with the kids. That's great. Okay. So you got three kids and they are kind of going out about, you know, their kind of yeah. lives getting started. Um and so, and you you live in Seattle. How long have you been in Seattle? Did you grow up there? Or is this like a... No, my wife did. My wife was oh, born okay. and raised in Seattle. She's like five generations deep. And, uh, and I, I moved all over. I'm, I'm truly, you know, as much as people joke about, oh, I'm a, I'm a person without a hometown. I truly don't have a hometown because my, 
parents were both born and raised in Rhode Island, met in youth group at Barrington Baptist Church. And then I was born when my dad was going to Stanford and lived there till I was three. And then he got a job in New York City and we lived on Long Island till I was six. Oh, and then wow. he, he was in higher education. So we went to Kansas, central Kansas is where I was in elementary school. And then when you're an administrator, typically a promotion means a different university. <laughs> and so right. he was vice president at Whitworth in Spokane, Washington in the 80s and went there, moved for five days after I graduated from high school. He became the president of a school down in Tennessee. And But I only lived there for a summer because I was going back up to college in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. And that's where I was a youth pastor after school. And now we live in Kirkland, which uh, oh, just yeah. out. So the claim to fame of our town right now is uh, that if anybody's ever that's listening to this has ever bought something that says Kirkland Signature on yep. the side of it at Costco, uh, I live six blocks from the Kirkland Costco, and and which is where my wife grew up. So our kids are oh, going nice. through the same high school that my wife graduated from back in the day. Wow. So, so I've certainly lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else in my okay. life, but. Uh, no, no hometown for me. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's so it sounds like you're kind of all over the place. Um, but it sounds like you've been in Seattle for quite a long time yeah. as as yeah. well. So you you claim it. I grew up in Iowa, but I live in in Colorado now. And I, I claim Colorado as my home. I've been here almost 18 years. So I think if you've been here longer than that, you're there good. you go. You, oh, you yeah. can claim so it. I've been I've been I've been here in in Washington State really since since eighty one. And okay. And yeah, I've yeah. been on the west side of the mountains since eighty seven. Yeah, which is a, which is, yeah, which is a, Seattle is interesting because Seattle has its own sort of church culture. So what was that like for you as maybe growing up or kind of getting used to it? And then I want to know how you kind of found faith initially. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where I'm one of those people who really can't point to, oh, this was the day when everything changed for me. Uh, It was, it was something that, that. I, I couldn't ever remember a time when if somebody would have asked me if I was a Christian that I would have said no. I is my my parents were Christian, my grandparents on both sides. My dad's dad was actually friends with Billy Graham. I wow. so we had this heritage of faith for sure. Um went through a pretty rough journey right after college when I, a couple months after I started as a youth pastor and my dad walked away from a lot of that for about 20 years. Mm. And, uh, so that there, we could, we, I'm happy to talk through some of that, um, as we reconciled a couple, couple years before he passed. Um, but, uh, but it was something where, where faith was always, was always an act. It wasn't just a nominal part of our lives. It was an active part. We always went, even though we moved a lot, we plugged into churches and I was always in youth group and loved youth group. And it was, it was a part of kind of who we were and what we Mm. did and what we believed. It was really an integrated faith and a very active faith. And so, um, so, so I, I loved Jesus from a, from a young age. I would say that like many people, it was probably, around high schoolish ninth 10th grade where I started taking it a little bit more seriously and probably mm-hmm. even late you know 10th 11th grade when uh I, I I think what what hit me when I kind of as far as where I made that transition from okay this isn't just something I believe and do at home but this is something that is to be a, my whole life was when I realized that I had I, I was one of those kids who I grew up 
on a soccer pitch. I grew up playing. My dad loved soccer. He started coaching me when I was little. I played all the way through middle school and junior high, you know, and high school and all that. Um, and it was something that I realized that uh, probably around 10th, 11th grade that I've been playing soccer for 10 years. And when I'm very competitive and the way that spilled over my competitiveness is I wasn't one of those mean people who was putting other people down, but I was, I had a foul mouth and I realized that a lot of what was the venom that was coming out of my mouth, a lot of times just an anger at frustration at myself, but, um, was I, I, it dawned on me one day that, that of the hundreds and hundreds of people that I had played soccer with over the years, I had never talked to a single one of them about Jesus. And I think that so much of the way I carried myself on a soccer pitch um, really diminished the any value that my testimony would have because it was like, well, if this is how you're going to be mm -hmm. there, then there, I, I mean, it just it wasn't even something that was a part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And so, so was I, it like uh, a moment of conviction or was it just kind of dawn over your season or how'd that go? You know, it, I, I can't point to, oh, it was after this game. Um, I think that I just, I think it was probably right around, I think it was, it was either 10th or 11th grade mm, sure. that I realized I wanted, that was something that I needed to get under control. And so it was kind of a funny thing that I've, I've even woven into some sermons and different things that, um, that I replaced all of the were all the four letter words that I was using with my own name. I was like, well, there's nothing in scripture about taking your own name in vain. So, <laughs> so I would just, if I would get mad, I would just yell Keith, David. And, uh, and <laughs> so I was like, the, the, the people who knew my middle name were people who played sports with me. And nice. so I, I, and it carried over to the point where even to this day, I could be playing pickleball and I'll shank a shot or something like that. And I'll be like, Keith, David, people are just like laughing. And, and even, that's, even that's had a convenient. couple of people that I played adult soccer leagues with that uh, are not Christians, not, you know, and, and swear all the time or whatever. And I re remember kind of the funny moment when a guy that I was playing on an over 40 soccer league with, he, I was a forward. He was a defender. We were on, we were a hundred feet apart from each other and he shanked a ball and I heard Keith David. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'd rather hear that than, uh, than oh. him dropping the F bombs he had done the first half of the season. So that's I'm like, that's funny. great. You can, you can take my name in vain all you want. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I like how you turn that around and like, okay, well let's, let's do this a little differently. Yeah. And so that represents sort of you trying to say, I'm gonna take my faith a little more seriously and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to make an effort to be, you know, who I think God's calling me to be. So yeah. that's good in high school. That's definitely a lot of us kind of find that, right? Where we're like, okay, this is becoming your own now, right? You're starting to do that. Where'd that lead you? Where'd you head to then like, you know, college or, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of into the, you know, I'm, I don't know if you went immediately into like studying the Bible or how that, how that happened, how that go. Yeah. And I actually, my degree is not in, really? in the Bible. It, it was kind of a... It, a lot of my Bible studies content it comes just from, from study and from research, from my own yeah. reading and all that. But my degree, and I, I went right out right from high school into college and I uh, got a degree in psychology. My master's is a master's of education and counseling. I, th I thought that I would either be a youth pastor 
or I would be a high school counselor and soccer coach. That's those, those that's what I pictured. And, um, and after, after college, I, you know, wasn't ready to grow up. So I took the youth pastor route and I, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I've only half jokingly said that, uh, any youth pastor that gives you any other reason is just lying. They just, <laughs> we just want to hang out with kids because the kids are the coolest ones in the church. So that's true. Um, so so that was so that was something that for me I ended up uh just going straight into youth ministry yeah. after after college I graduated in 91 from college and Thanksgiving of 91 later that year I got a job as a youth pastor and and was did that for 6 years and and but it was it's interesting it was that, you... that it was some things that happened during that season that uh that really led me to do doing the the Bible speaking, oh, okay. speaking, storytelling, and everything that I do now. So, All right. Well, I want to hear about dive that. Dive into that. But. Yeah. It's interesting that you um, thought to study psychology as part of working with with kids. Was that like, that doesn't seem to me to be very intentional or it seems to be very intentional. It doesn't seem to be normal, right? Not all of us think yeah. of it that way. So where'd that come from? Yeah. Cause I wasn't studying. I mean, I, I wasn't studying youth ministry. Um, I was school was one of those things that I, I, I did just kind of, I thought it was what I was supposed to do next. You know, my dad had always been higher education. And so, so I just kind of went and, and people and why we make decisions and how learning happens and all of that was always super fascinating to me, how the brain works and all that. And Mm. that's, that's actually one of the things that makes that's a, a unique piece of the way that I even teach people how to study the Bible is that, and we can kind of dive into this as we go along, but yeah. most Bible study methodology is not lined up with how God's wired our brains to naturally and enjoyably learn anything. And, um, you know, we, the, the nutshell of it is we, we naturally and enjoyably learn from the general to the specific and yeah. we are taught to study the Bible a verse at a time, and which, and and I frequently use the analogy, kind of the simplest analogy to to encompass my Bible study method is is the analogy of watching a movie. That if you and I sat down and watched a movie, if I paused it after scene one and said, "Let's discuss that," you'd smack me. <laughs> right. right. But after we watch the movie, we can happily talk about one scene, one character, one plot twist. Yes. But but the the reason that for most people, a vast majority of people, including me, the first 20, 25 years I was a Christian, for most people, the Bible is kind of the one aspect of their journey with Jesus that is more of a should than a want. We we want to gather together and be in community. We want to hear each other's stories. We want to hear good preaching. Mm-hmm. We want to worship together. We want to make a difference in the community. And the Bible comes up and we go, yeah, I should read that more. I should be more consistent. And I think that a big reason for that is that we study the Bible like we're studying the scenes of a movie we've never watched. And so and it just, the, the details just don't make sense together. And so when you when you combine the truths and the foundation of God's word with, with how God himself has wired our brains to learn both naturally and enjoyably, then we understand it better. We remember mm-hmm. it more. We apply it more. We like it. So if we like it, then we, and we enjoy it, then we'll be more consistent. I mean, kind of all those things that 
that happened. So yeah, I love that. Okay, friends, here's the deal. I know that we teach whether it's Bible study or discipleship or all these things in certain ways. Um, you don't have to not take. You don't have to ignore psychology. Let's put it that way. Or you don't have to ignore neuroscience in order to to do that well. Um, we actually can do it. They're not a conflict. They actually tell us more about how we can uh, learn and I think even relate to God in a in a much better way. That's what I hear you saying, Keith. I hope For that's, sure. that's close. For sure. So he, I want to go. If he created everything, then I kind of think that includes yes. our brain. So right. So <laughs> so the next frontier, perhaps, and you know, I always say I joke that evangelicals are always about twenty years behind, right? So but like we're, we're you know the next frontier for us, if we could just speed up a little bit is to understand, I think, how people learn, uh, you know, so maybe that will have to change some of the forms that we that we use to actually deliver information. That's a wild thought. Yeah. I think the pandemic started to make us have to do that a little bit. Um, so, Keith, I, I want to go back to that, to that time. So you mentioned a couple of things, and I don't know if they're related. If they are, great. If they're not, then you pick one and tell me where to go. You mentioned that your dad kind of walked away and had this – kind of big, you know, big season when he just didn't, he was, I don't know, sounds like maybe he wasn't around or you, you tell me that. And then, um, and, and then also there was some stuff that happened after college that where you was, where you started to get in the Bible. Are those connected? They're connected, not from content, but they are from calendar. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, the journey with the journey with my dad, it was, it was something where, where when I've looked back on it, you know, the whole hindsight thing. When I look back on it, uh, it was, it was at right after I got out of college. So I had, I had already moved away. My family lived in Tennessee. I lived in Tacoma. I went to college, got out of college, drove around the country for a few months, including to visit them, spent a few months in my car by myself and uh, got the youth pastor job when I came back in November. And it was February 13th that I got this phone call that was just I mean, I literally remember word for word, my dad saying, okay, I don't know how else to say this. So I'm just going to say it. I've fallen in love with another woman and your mother and I are splitting up. Okay. <laughs> and my mom was on the phone. Like the two of them called me and, and my mom, I, I never heard you say that you loved her. And well, we go, I mean, oh, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm the fly on the wall of my own conversation. I was just, but that just led to, to years of, of my my parents yeah. going through seasons of trying to work it out, and then that that marriage eventually within that year um, ending, and and my my mom remaining very very active in her in her faith and and finding comfort in people and all that that uh and ended up moving out. She she's coming. I mean, we're recording this in in an afternoon, and I'm uh, uh, having her over for dinner tonight with our family. So she's very mm. active in our lives and our grandparenting and stuff. And um, but my dad and his wife, they just they just really kind of did their own thing for the better part of a couple of decades. Mm. And and it was kind of in the early 2000 teens, maybe. 2012, 2013, something like that. My dad was diagnosed with cancer in his leg and, and that spread for a little bit. Then it actually went into remission. And then a year or two later, it ended up coming back and becoming very aggressive and, and ended up uh, um, taking his life on, on April fool's day of 2016. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the 
couple years prior, kind of when he was dealing with cancer, we just some of the conversations that we had and some of the reconciliation that we that we had uh, and being at me even being able to visit because they lived on the other side of the country. And so so I mean, I would see him once every several years for very short periods of time. We, we wouldn't go on vacation together or anything like that. But uh, due to my con where where I was speaking at some conferences in 2015 and early 2016, I was able to visit him for a couple long weekends and um, and him kind of come coming back mm. to some foundational truths of his faith and and so but it was one of those things that when he when he walked away and you know knowing the foundation he had knowing that he had been the president of christian colleges knowing that yeah. you know kind of where he was coming from it was one of those things where where it forced me to to really evaluate hey is this is this jesus guy somebody that i'm going to follow wholeheartedly for my life or not or is this just my dad's faith um and so so that and this is all you know this is all kicked off a couple months into my first job as a youth pastor, oh, man. you know, so I'm in full-time ministry, blah, blah, blah. And, and walking this crazy, crazy journey kind of from a family standpoint. Yeah. Um, which, which is interesting, right? Cause that's a little bit, it's hard to deal with. I mean, that's all emotional anyway, right. Oh, yeah. To deal with, and then to have to pour into students and to yeah. do all that. Uh, I can't imagine what that was like. Was it difficult for you? You know, that piece of it wasn't. And I think that looking back on it, I think the reason that it wasn't is because, you know, we we moved from Spokane to East Tennessee the summer I graduated from high school. And then two months later, I moved to Tacoma by myself. And so my whole life through college and then all my years as a youth pastor there, it wasn't like I was living in the town that our family mm -hmm. had been together in. And it, it was something where Tacoma had always been the place that only I had lived. And so I didn't have, mm. I wasn't going to restaurants going, oh, I remember when I used to sit in this booth with my dad or, you know, yeah, there, yeah. there weren't daily reminders. They never attended that church that I worked at. They never. So, it, so I think that it was, it was much easier than maybe for some other people who walked that journey. You could separate uh, it, it a little bit. It's much easier for me to to kind of compartmentalize that. You know, phone mm -hmm. conversations were hard. What we were going to do at holiday. I mean, all of that was hard. But the the actual process of living day to day life in Tacoma, as well as being a youth pastor, that was so separate from my life with my dad or my mom or my brother or my sister. Nobody was a part of that world. And so it was pretty easy actually to compartmentalize mm. that, that piece well, of it. Interesting. Was that true of your view of God as well? Um, you know, thankfully, I think that my college years were years where God really solidified his relationship with me that mm. I had started to solidify in high school you know, um, kind of some of the things that we talked about early on in the conversation that, that by the time this all happened, uh, I mean, I had to kind of ask some of those questions, but the answers came pretty quickly as far as, is this faith just my parents or not? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I, I don't know how this would have rocked me if all of this happened 
while he was the vice president at Whitworth in Spokane and I was in 10th grade or, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know what all this would have done if I was dealing with this on a day to day basis with my family living there and watching. Watching the disintegration from up close, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but I think because. Because I had already spent a couple of years in high school, really pretty grounded in my faith and then spent at that point four and a half almost five years living on my own as an mm -hmm. adult um I, I you know i mean it certainly yeah. made me think deeply <laughs> right uh, about you know issues of faith and faithfulness yeah. and consistency and well, I think, see, I think that's really interesting because oftentimes our, our fathers are become the model for God, right? So there's, there's kind of this, that's what I was curious about. If there was a, if it made you wonder if God was also faithful to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and in all transparency, no, it really, it yeah, really does. That's good. I think that it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that's the story for many, many people for sure. Um, that was, yeah, that was, that was not mine. I think I had seen at that point in my life, I think I had seen enough other people. I was old enough that I had seen enough other people who were what I thought were solid in their faith mm -hmm. kind of fall, if you will, that, that I kind of knew that the, the, the sinfulness of Christian leaders isn't the identity the identity of christ <laughs> you know? yeah and that uh that that i i think what you know what even pops into my head right now is in in second timothy where he says in chapter two if we are you know if, if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot mm. disown himself and it's just the, <laughs> that whole thing of we we see apparently or appearingly faithful people be faithless frequently yeah. enough that that at that point in my life I yeah. I had seen I had seen it enough that my dad was one of them not the only one so yeah interesting and so it's obviously different when it's when it's close by but um, I get it so tell me about so then you started you were a youth pastor so then this is you're also you're teaching students is this when you get into Bible study and you're like okay we got to figure out how to learn how to do this in order to, to teach them or how'd that go? Yeah. You know, it, it actually was one of those, I, I, I was a youth pastor. I loved hanging out with kids. I loved talking to them about Jesus, but as far as me really grounding them in scripture, it really, my kind of Bible world was, was rocked in a good way. Um, during that season, my own personal journey in the Bible and so it certainly this, as I tell the story, you'll see that it, it, this ended up spilling over into the way that I talk about the Bible with students. But it wasn't like I was thinking, okay, what's the best way to teach the Bible to kids? Oh, I was, interesting. I was a, a a storyteller and would just, I, I would, you know, I, I would use the typical youth pastor thing of what's the funniest thing that happened to me this week? And then what's the point I can make from it, you know? <laughs> yep. And, uh, but it was something that where I can actually point to the night when God shifted my whole thinking about the Bible. It was April 18th of 93. I was a youth pastor from 91 to 97. And April 18th of 93, 
uh, I had been invited by a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at another church in town. Uh, a couple, few days earlier, we were having lunch and he said, I don't know what to make of this. There's this guy coming to our church Sunday night who has memorized the entire gospel of Luke. Oh, nice. And he gets up on stage with no sets or props or costumes or other actors and actresses, and he just quotes it. And while he quotes it, he kind of acts it out. And I'm just thinking to myself, dude, that is a lot. <laughs> and then, uh, and I, and I, I said, are people really going to listen to that for almost two hours? I mean, I, you know, the, my, my picture of quoted memorized scripture is me going back to second grade Sunday school class in central Kansas, where you'd have to stand up and quote John three sixteen in front of big church. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so I just, I could, I, I imagine that the first 10 minutes would be fascinating. I didn't expect it to be enjoyable at all. And the way that I describe what happened for me that night is the living word of God went from being a phrase to a reality that, wow. that it came alive. The guy's name is Bruce Kuhn. He had been in the Broadway cast of Les Mis, was a Christian guy, was hired by a director to do the Gospel of Luke off-Broadway. So he had been hired to memorize Luke and do this kind of 12 to 16-week run and just realized how amazingly people were responding to just hearing Scripture. And so he ended up going on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he would go to different cities and do presentations of Luke on college campuses and nearby churches. And I happened to go to one of those. And then uh, two nights later, he was going to be at at uh, PLU, the school that I'd gone to, and, and on that Tuesday night. And so I took a bunch of my youth group kids. So I ended up seeing the whole gospel of Luke kind of lived out word for word on Sunday night and again on Tuesday night. Wow. And in between, I had I went up to Bruce after the first night, and I just said, hey, I, I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, but I'd love to take you to lunch. And our lunch turned into from noon until 9 p.m. Wow. And we just spent the week, you know, we didn't stay at the restaurant the whole time, but we spent the entire day together. He ended up coming to my middle school youth group was Monday nights at that point. And he came to that middle school youth group. And I remember at one point, I think I was at a little church plant. I mean, we had, you know. 25 people in our entire youth group, middle school and high school combined. And so our middle school youth group met that night. And I just remember this Broadway actor telling Bible stories to my wow. 11 or 12, you know, middle schoolers. Yeah. And, uh, and he just, and he just really challenged me that when we were having lunch and talking through the day, he just really challenged me to to soak in bigger chunks of scripture. He said, kind of, what if instead of mm. memorizing this piece and this verse and studying this little bit and this little bit, he said, what if you just took a book of the Bible and you just soaked in it until you knew it? You just read yes. it over and over again until you know it. And so that summer of 93, I just said, okay, well, I'm going to read Philippians every day for the summer. I'm just going to stay in one book and I'm just going to read it, the whole book every day and see what happens. And my perspective on it, my understanding, my memory of it, I realized by the end of the summer, without even trying, I probably had it 80% word perfect, just because I had read it 40, 50 times, right? And like, and, and I realized I was looking forward to it, and I was thinking about it throughout the day, and God was bringing it to my mind, and I 
I realized that I wasn't just reading the Bible informationally, but I was reading it relationally. I was reading the Bible to hang out with Jesus rather than to learn about him. And yes. so that's, you know, the whole method that I teach now, I actually have titled relational Bible study. And um, so that's, that's what I teach is relational Bible study. And, and I ended up wanting to know the, after learning Philippians like that, I wanted to know the life of Jesus. So I just made one New Year's resolution in 94, and that was to internalize the gospel of John. I had stopped using the word memorize because memorize, mm. people think about getting the words in the right order. And when I use the word internalize, I'm talking about knowing the word. And, um, and so, so I, I just decided I was going to read the gospel of John over and over again until I knew it. And so I just read it and you know, most days I would read for anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes. And some, you know, there were probably a few, there were a few different times that year where I sat down for a little less than two hours and read the whole gospel of John, but not most wow. days. It wasn't like Philippians. Philippians is 15 minutes. Right. But, um, but I got to Thanksgiving week of, of 2000, I mean, of 1994. And, and I knew the whole gospel of John by heart. And so I, got to you know, Bruce came back into town. I told him what I was doing. He said, we'll do a couple chapters for me. And, you know, unlike Bruce who had been in school plays, got a theater uh -huh. degree, worked his way up through community theater, all the way to Broadway. You know, I had done youth group skits. I was never in a school play. I'd never had any interest in theater or anything. And so I did a couple chapters for him and he said, you know, I, I think you could do this. And I said, do what? <laughs> And he said, I think you could do with the Gospel of John what I've been doing with the Gospel of Luke for the last eight to 10 years. And um, so March 3rd of 96, so almost 27 years, uh, wow. March 3rd of 96, I stood up on a church platform in North Seattle and presented the Gospel of John and have been telling stories for the last 27 years. But for me, the storytelling always is an entry point into the conversation about how do we study the Bible in such a way that we understand it, remember it, apply it, and enjoy it. And, right. Uh, and so that's what I've done for almost three oh, decades now. Keith, I love it. So one of the things I love, there's, there's a couple things, but one is you're making it a story, right? You're sharing it with people in a way that they can hear and engage and connect to emotionally, which is how it was supposed to be read, right? We, I think we forget that a lot of scripture was oral before it was written, right? Like we have this really attachment to the text, but hearing it and seeing it and imagining it and connecting it to it that way has a really powerful and profound effect upon our spirit. I think that's really wonderful. Sure. The, the other thing, I don't know if you did this on purpose or if it was the, the discipline that you just kind of came to. I'm a big fan of the discipline of Lectio Divina. Do you know, are you familiar mm -hmm. with that? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of doing that with only with a, with a large chunk of scripture, right? Mm -hmm. Basically where you're reading it over and over again. And um, I tend to take it into smaller, well, maybe like a chapter, like a smaller, a smaller section, but being, taking it and letting, really letting that become part of you is a whole different discipline, isn't it? It's a whole different. Oh, for sure. Process that just, yeah, I, you know, I said a lot of the same things comes up in the shower. It comes up when I'm driving, I'm thinking about like, what does that really mean? What's, what's that like really? And it's just back there in the back of my head. Mm. Um, I think that's so good. So how, how would you say that that's affected this practice has affected your 
relationship to God specifically? It's really affected everything in that it's mm. affected how I how I view God. It affect it affects how I feel about what happens if I miss a day, right? <laughs> or right. how I how oh, I man. feel that the application points or the different things, how I teach the Bible, how I think about the Bible, how that this the the that that idea, that foundation of of relationship. I remember because I've I've you know, I grew up in the church, as I've already mentioned in my story. This is, I'd heard all the things. I kind of knew all the big fat words, right? And I and I knew most Bible study processes. I've heard different things. And and some of those things that you hear all the time when you grow up in the church, like God has something to teach you every day, right? And I've come to realize it's not true. <laughs> God, God does not have some, I mean, if, for, for somebody that's listening to this, who has in their head that God has something to teach you every single day, that there is a nugget of truth in every piece of scripture daily for you to apply, and you need to discover the truth and discover the application point, and that's the definition of good Bible study, then I'm here to let you in on a secret. And that is that God happens to be your heavenly father. And as a father, there are days when he's got much to teach you. And there has some. There are days when he needs to discipline you or correct you or challenge you or comfort you or all those things that we do as, as dads. And there are some days when he just wants to play catch with you. There are some days when he wants mm. to go for a walk with you. There are some days when he just wants to hang out and have a movie marathon. There are some days. And I think that when we, we think about that in terms of Bible, and I say, you know, if you read scripture and you enjoy the read, but you can't figure out what the nugget of truth is or what the application point is, you aren't bad at Bible study. You haven't had a bad quiet time if you can't find the application point. Because I think there are some days when God wants you to read the Bible and not learn anything. I think there are some days when he just wants to hang out with you. I, I tell people, we, we talk about the Bible as the good book, and it is the good book. It's also a good book. It's right. really, really good. The stories are really, really good. Just oh, because yeah. they're true doesn't mean they're not crazy and awesome and entertaining and engaging. And people, you know, people get a hang up with that word entertain. But the uh, the, the yep. dictionary definition of the word entertain is to engage somebody's heart, mind, and emotions for an extended period of time. I'm like, yeah, I think the Bible and our preaching should be entertaining. Totally. Uh, so. So anyway, I mean, I, I could go off on a whole lot of things, but that idea of the relational foundation mm -hmm. of, of God wants to be with us and we need to be open to his teaching for sure. We need to, we need to apply Amen. what he shows us to apply, but we also need to enjoy the read when he's just has a day when he wants to hang out with us. And that does not mean we're bad at Bible study. And I think that's one of the lies the enemy tries to get us to believe a lot. So. Absolutely. I'm also convinced uh, what you're talking about makes it far less consumeristic, right? I think the way we talked about Bible study, read your Bible and pray every day, do it every day, right? Every day, which is fine, but we, it we becomes this way that we just need to consume the Bible, right? You just need to keep consuming it, um, which actually is a problem in our culture because we're always consuming everything. And so what you did is you took, you took it, you ingested it until you could put it out, right? Until you could actually actually create something with it that would actually serve not only your, you, but also an audience. That's a very different thing, right? It's a very different level of knowledge and this relationship, you know, kind of idea. I, I want to tell a story 
or just quickly, I remember the day that I realized, because my, my degree is in biblical studies, so I did study that, right? Wanted to go into ministry. Then I got an MDiv. And I remember toward the end of my Master of Divinity, I was writing this huge paper about all the theology, and you had to go in front of your panel, you know, and get get uh, grilled or, uh, for two hours. It was fun. But I'm, I'm writing about Scripture and about Revelation, and I realized that actually that my view of Scripture had changed to in, be instead of being the book that just tells me all the things to do, like you're talking about application points, right? It's the book that tells me how to live a life with God, right? It's a relationship switch. And that one switch does so much for you, right? Oh, it's it huge. Just, it's, it will change everything. And sadly, sadly, it's a switch that many people spend their whole lives following Jesus and yeah. never making that switch. Right. Well, and which is hard, which. Yeah. Sad. Well, I th- it's, it's a real breakdown in imagination in the American evangelical church. And it makes me crazy, which is why I'm glad we're here talking about it. I got to ask you. So one, one question I, I like to ask, or I, I want to ask is always about the dark night of the soul. Uh, did you have a season? Have you ever had a season where you were like, God felt far away or you were spiritual desert, something like that? I think that there were, there are more of the extended events. I mean, like, I mean, looking, looking at the the season of 20 years without my dad. I don't mm. know that I don't know that I can point to, oh, this two-year period was a period where I sure. just felt distant from God. But there I could point to really probably three events that at the time were just massively confusing and did not get answered. Um as I thought they would, or when I thought they would, or all that. And one, certainly we've talked, you know, at length about which the season with my dad um, was just something that I'm like, how, how can somebody who follows that closely has the heritage, has the church activity, the leadership, the relay, I mean, all those different things go that far away. That was a confusing season for me. Um, another was I actually, before meeting my wife, um, I, I dated a gal for the last two years of college and the first two years out of college who I thought we had talked marriage. I thought we were going to get married. And, um, and it was one of those things where to go to, to come to the realization that after four years invested in a relationship with a neat Christian gal who, kind of checked off all the boxes um, as far as, you know, she was fun and we got along well. We didn't fight a whole lot. We both love Jesus. We, you know, she helped me with youth ministry and stuff. And, but to realize that there are some fun, cool, attractive Christian people that you shouldn't be married to, <laughs> you know, that was a hard realization yeah. to come to. And, um, and so, you know, for, unfortunately we're actually, we're not friends that we see each other a lot, but we live in the same area and we, you know, we'll still connect on Facebook or different things or email or whatever. I mean, when and my wife, I think that she and my wife get along even better than we do now, but uh, so <laughs> funny, funny things, but, but looking at that and just kind of be like, okay, most people when they're, you know, their last two years of college, if you start dating somebody for the last two years of college and the first two years out of college, that's, it's pretty rare that that one's not 
a marriage. And, um, and so going through that and walking that journey with my having to verbally process that with a bunch of high schoolers that also loved Kristen, the gal that I dated and were totally confused at how I could not marry her. Right. I, yeah. And so, so processing that out loud, that was a, that was a, a unique season to go through that. Um, and then have just kind of in, in the midst of some of that, then all the stuff with my dad. And I mean, that was some of that was even overlapping with my latter years with Kristen. And then, then there was another eight months or so before I met my wife. And then the early months with my wife as, you know, she then walked through the 20 years with me walking that journey. And yeah. um, so that was one. And then, or that was the second one. The third one was uh, in, in August of 94, my wife and I had only been dating for about a month. And uh, my best friend, Mark Hall, uh, died in my arms. And um, we oh, were, wow. he had just gotten married. We were moving he and his wife into their new apartment in a neighboring city. And, um, and we were going, going to unload the truck after lunch, we had loaded the truck all morning and dro drove down to the city. And we were get, we had lunch, we ate some Subway sandwiches, and then we were unloading the first, and he just collapsed. And it was that whole thing. It was that I don't know if you remember, but because uh, you and I are in, of similar age, let's just say. Yeah. And um, but in that in that winter of ninety three ninety four, there were like three basketball players that just collapsed on the on, oh. on the on the court. I don't know if you remember that. Uh -uh. I called it athlete's heart because of that. This kind of enlarged heart. Oh. And so Mark had the same, same thing and we didn't know it. And, uh, so, but to, I, I tell people doing, doing CPR, uh, on somebody is not the same as doing CPR in a movie. And <laughs> so, uh, so he, he actually came back three times and, and then died and oh man, uh, over this, before, before the, before the medics actually got there. So they were fast, but it was kind of one of those, one of those things where, where I can still picture every second of the mm -hmm. scene and it's 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 one of those things where it's still to this day is one of those questions that i just go how, how does that happen how does somebody that's been married for a year that i played tennis with that has been my yeah been my best friend and process life with and we were gonna do life and raise kids together and do, i mean we were gonna do all the things right and and uh just to, to see that that end um so so abruptly um was was just was a was a hard thing and 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 that would be i mean i can see how god redeemed things with my relationship with Kristen and now my my marriage to carrie and i can see how god used some of what happened in the 20 years with my dad and in the last year or two mm. of of his life i can see how god redeemed some of that um i'm still I'm, you know, I'm whatever it is, 30, is it 30 years? Am I doing my math? 29 years, something like that. Remove from that one and still have questions about what God was thinking in that. That's not something that I think I'll ever really fully get the answers, answers to. So, but so I yeah. would look at those seasons and those questions and how long it took to, um, to, to get some answers on some and then still be 29 years removed and not have answers on some and just has maybe understand more about God's faithfulness and, and realizing that, that 
the sometimes when when the when the answers are either not what we want or the answers just simply don't come that leads me more to realize i better have the confidence in who i have my faith in than mm-hmm. that he's going to give me the answer i want or that he's going to give me any answer at all cuz he doesn't owe it to me right but i've but because my my faith in god's character has been solid i can i've become more comfortable as i've gotten older living in the mystery um as yeah. i've realized that that him giving me answers doesn't change his worthiness or his faithfulness it's yeah you know so i'm convinced those would be the that- three that popped in my mind yeah, those are great. Thank you for sharing those. I'm convinced that being a mature human being, you have to be comfortable with mystery. That makes sense, right? Like they, you just, you have to get to that place where you go. Um, it's, that's just how it is, you know? So, uh, and trust. And I, I think you described that quite beautifully. So thank you for that. Um, did, did anything in those seasons, well, may, maybe you described it already. But was there anything that you learned about yourself having gone through some difficult seasons that you were, that maybe God took away an identity from you and gave you a new one? Uh, I, I would say it's in the same arena of what I've already said, which is okay. I, I was, I was pretty convinced uh, when I was in my early, you know, my late teens and early twenties that the world was pretty black and white. Mm. That what we're seeing a lot of in today's culture of division is that is that a lot of people see the world as very, very black and white. And this is what's right. And this is what's truth. And this yeah. is what we have to stand on. And this one. And I, and I was a pretty arrogant Christian that pretty, I, I tell people at 23, you could have pretty much asked me any difficult theological question. And I would have known the answer, the right answer. And yes. now at 53, um, I know a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh but but, but what, what's interesting is I hear you have a lot more confidence as well. Yeah, right. For, oh, for sure. There's a there's sure, a correlation. My, there that my goes... confidence came when I was 23, my confidence came in my ability to articulate and if I'm totally transparent and win a debate. Yeah. At 53 my confidence comes in realizing that God is good, even when I'm confused. And, and so, so I can, I can enter into some of the messy gray conversations. And it also keeps me out of some of the, of some of the, what, what Paul would say in second Timothy, the foolish and stupid arguments that, Mm -hmm. that I just feel like, you know, there yes. are times when, because of my position, because I'm a Bible teacher, because I speak at conferences, I have people ask me questions all the time about, you know, uh, uh, about transgender things, about gun rights, about abortion, about whatever. And I'm like, if you want to sit down and have an hour long conversation, I'll talk to you about it. But if you're looking for a soundbite, that doesn't do enough respect to the messiness and the hardness of that conversation for the real live people that are involved that, and it's not that I fudge on my answer. I mean, I, 
I I have sure. some very pretty solid biblical views on a lot of things, but I'm not willing to give a soundbite in. I'm willing to live in the messiness of the gray. Um, that and I'm and it's kept me out of. You know, you're you're not you're not going to find a whole lot of soundbite kind of answers on my social media or all that mm. because I've had lots and lots of conversations about all of the topics that people have soundbites on. I'm just not going to do it on social media because I've never seen that be helpful for people. Right. And so it, never it doesn't really. Ar- I've never seen anyone argued into the kingdom. So right, you're right. Not <laughs> only does it not change any minds, it also. Uh, comes across very arrogant and less like Christ than I think we'd like it to. So I think that's really important. We mentioned earlier about your community, Bible Life community, yep. your online community. Tell us about that. Tell us about starting it. Like, what's the impetus there? And if people join, what what are they going to get? Okay. So <laughs> how it started? Super super easy. There was this thing called the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> right. And I had thought about creating some sort of an online community where I could interact with people more around conversations around the Bible, other than when I was just on stage talking to people about Bible study for 45 minutes at a conference. Uh, and so I it had, it had been percolating for a while. But I remember, you know, March 12th of 2020, I did an event in uh, just outside of Kansas City got on an airplane the next morning and flew home. My wife is a school teacher. And at the time, three school age kids, high schooler, middle schooler and, and elementary. And I, uh, um, and they, they had two weeks off to get this virus under control. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and instead over the next two weeks, every one of my live events, I mean, I, my, my whole world was rocked because I have spent the last quarter century making a living on stages in front of live 3D people. And that was completely taken away. Right. I mean, I would do a yeah. I would do a few virtual events and things like that. But but my it was just gone. And I all of a sudden had all this time. So I actually launched the Bible Life community two weeks later. Um on April 1st of 2020, I put uh I I put it out there to the people on my email list and said, I'm starting this thing. And some people joined. And so we're, we're coming up on three years of this Bible life community, which is, which is the, the, the best way to describe it is it's this online community of people where I write a new Bible study. Typically we study a book of the Bible for a couple months. So like right now, January, February, while we're recording this, we're in the middle of a study on Second Timothy, and uh, then we're going to do a study kind of on the Lenten season, kind of what mm-hmm. we're going to take a journey toward the empty tomb, and uh, and toward Easter. And so we'll be doing we'll be doing that, and then we'll do something else <clears throat> in you know in May and uh, June. And so, but is but I I teach live in the private community every Monday. Once a month, we have kind of Zoom calls where we can just see each other and have conversations and Q and A's. But I write these studies, so some people some people have joined the Bible. I say there there are people who join the Bible Life community for three reasons. One is they want that community of people, and they want they want to study the Bible with me and with the other people that are in the community. And so I post something every Monday through Friday. I have something in the group that I post that people answer questions on and comment on and share resources and insights. And so it's really this kind of conversation that we have online 
around a specific guided Bible study. The second is that people that are members of the Bible Life community get access to all of my resources. So people that, you know, they get access to my books and my my two courses that I have. And so some people realize that they would have to be a member of the Bible Life community nonstop for like over three years before they would actually wow. have paid the same amount as if they bought all the resources that I have. But as long as you're a member, you get access to things. And so some people do that. They they don't need a Bible study community. They've got a small group and they've got a church and they don't really need the Bible study stuff, but they want access to my my training and my resources. Some people do it for that. And then there are other people that just, that's the way that they can monthly support my ministry. They just signed up and they don't participate in anything, but they yep. just say, Hey, I just believe in what you're doing. And I want to give you your 17 bucks a month and, you know, just kind of have a way to regularly. And then I, then they get the emails because they're part of it. So they get the emails and they know what to pray for and all those kinds of things. And so, um, but, but if people want to try it, they're listening to this. Uh, the, the easiest way, if you just, if you just go to keithfarron.com slash try Bible life, all one word, no hyphens or anything, just try Bible life. You'll get your first four weeks for four bucks. And so you can just see for a month and see if it's the kind of thing that you would want to go, what you'd want to be a part of. That's perfect. I will put a link to that in the show notes, friends, where you can find that. Of course, all that's at halfwaytherepodcast.com. Keith, your website is keithfarron.com. And that was keithfarron.com slash try Bible life, right? Yep. That's Got it. it. Nailed it. That's Beautiful. It. So I love it. Keith, thank you for sharing your story. I love this idea. I just think that practice of digging into scripture in a different way. Not we're not it's okay. It's good to get granular, but it's good to see the big picture and it's good to just let it percolate in your mind. And I love that you did that. Uh, and that you're encouraging us to do it as well. Is there anything you want to leave us with? If people get one thing, it's it's the idea of the relational aspect. To Bible study that that the if we shift our focus from our primary purpose is to learn about God, learn about life, learn about how to live, we shift our focus from that being the purpose to the purpose of it is to hang out with Jesus. The irony is is that the more relational our approach, the more information we will actually learn, because the people in life that we've learned the most from are the people that we are also in the most intimate relationships with. The people that we hang out with, the people that we have pizza with, the people that we go for yes. with are also the people that have taught us the most, comfort us the best, challenge us the most. And so that relational mindset to me, when that happened for me back in the mid nineties, a game changer, absolute mm. game changer. So I love it. There's a famous Jim Rohn quote. You're the average of the five people who you spend the most time with. What if Jesus was one of those people. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting, right? That might, would be good. Might be, be life-changing. I love it, Keith. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure, brother. 